here we go on a Sunday morning in Las Vegas. It is that time, 8 o'clock, and we are live here at Kickers Gaming and Sports Bar in downtown Las Vegas. And we are here every week, same time, same place, because since the pandemic started, uh, they've kicked us out of the Fox Sports uh, studios. This is Out of Line. I'm Brian Feldman, and I am joined today by intern extraordinaire, but he's no longer the intern. He's our social media director and a host a talk show of his own called Delivering Sports, Spencer the Wiz Ostrowski. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Spencer, of course, is the only uh, former intern and social media director in the country with his own theme music. Also here back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio, keeping his social distance is Dino Demond, future WWE star, and of course, around Lotus Broadcasting is known as Demond Cotton. And um, once again, we are here live every week, same time. And you can give us a call on the Fox Sports Residential Bay Corp studio line, 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. Yeah, it is time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap is brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Funding America one neighborhood at a time. Whether you are looking at the home you already own, you're looking at purchasing a new home, Residential Bank Corp is the place to turn for all your home financing needs. Um, On tap today, the Vegas Golden Knights finally uh, lost their winning streak. I should say it came to an end uh, on Friday night. But last night they turned it around again. They've now won 11 of uh, 10 of 11 games. They are back in, and they have been in first place now in the Western Division for a little while. Um, but the team is uh, is rolling their four points in front of the Colorado Avalanche, uh, second best record in hockey to of all teams, the Carolina Hurricanes. We're going to talk about that in a minute as Jonathan Marks still gets the game winner yesterday. Also on tap today, the Kentucky Derby man. How about Bob? Baffert, seven wins as a trainer, first all-time, second time he's won back-to-back derbies. The guy is an absolute phenom. We'll talk about that. And joining the show in a little while. He is the host of this NFL draft. I know a lot of people here interested in what the Raiders did, and uh, most of you know by now. We'll get Bernie's thoughts on that. And, of course, my hometown team, i got to talk about them, the Detroit Lions. Um, it is really mixed emotions on this draft. If you want to grade the draft, well, they graded pretty well, but was it what they needed to build for the future right now? We'll talk about that as well. Uh, once again, What's on Tap is brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. And, hey, come on down to Kickers Gaming and Sports Bar. We are here right up until 8 o'clock this morning. Orange juice, donuts, they've got Bloody Mary, mimosa specials, uh, 17 big, big screens around the bar, tons of gaming machines as well. They're social distancing here, but they're getting back their 50% capacity right now, and there is no better place to watch the Golden Knights game. You want to watch it tomorrow night, Wednesday night, Friday or Saturday next week, the playoffs. Best place in town to watch the game. $2 shots all game long, and every time the Golden Knights score, you get a free shot. They pay it forward as well as uh, frontline workers. Man, throughout this pandemic, they take care of them. 50% off their bar tab uh, 24-7. They, uh, they do that. 
uh, it's pretty cool. Definitely come on down and check this place out. Also, during football season, they've got the NFL ticket. We just had the draft. They are a Packers bar, and during Packers games, they're giving away swag, jerseys. But also, man, they've got the game sound on. Every big game is here. It is the place to come. It is right on Las Vegas Boulevard, just down the road from Cashman Center and the Neon Boneyard. Awesome standalone tavern. They've also got uh, their t- their tavern license where uh, actually the bar you can drink, you, you, the beer you drink at the bar, uh, they can sell you to take home with you as well. No place like Kickers. Um, uh, Dylan Reese and Jennifer Metzger do a great job, man. Come on down and check them out. And again, uh, we are here live every Sunday morning from 8 to 9. And uh, it is time for um, a nightcap. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Okay, it is time for Nightcap, a cup full of Vegas Golden Knights. And this team just continues to, I can't say to with guys that were disregarded by their team. Of course, the goalie that was disregarded by one of the best in history, as a matter of fact, right now, tied for third all-time on the NFL uh, games playlist um, behind only Patrick Watt, Martin Brodeur, Mark Andre Fleury, the backbone of this team, does it again last night, picking up another victory uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights in Arizona after they dropped one and they won 10 straight. This team, I, I don't want to say a juggernaut because there's no such thing in this in the in the NHL, but a juggernaut to make the playoffs and a juggernaut in the respect that four years now this team has been one of the top teams in the National Hockey League. Um, again, we're an expansion team just four years ago in their first season ever, as we all know here. Old news that they they went to the Stanley Cup Finals against the Washington Capitals, lost in five games. Second year they got ripped off in, in Game Seven of the playoffs in the first round against the San Jose Sharks. That will forever bite at all of us Vegas fans, as we know they should have at least gotten out in the second round. They were up by three goals with ten minutes to go in the game. A terrible major call up. Of course, back to the Western Conference Finals, and this year right now. Toiling with the best record of the National Hockey League, one point right behind, right now behind the Carolina Hurricanes for the best record. But at 73 points, they are four points in front of the Colorado Avalanche uh, with the best record in their division at this point in time. Um, five games, six games to play after yesterday's game. Uh, they play tomorrow and Wednesday. They will be in Minnesota. Big games against the Wild. Uh, they have that trouble and struggle against Minnesota, so we'll see how that plays out. Then, of course, uh, they come home for a, a couple of big games as well. And um, it's going to be really interesting to see how this team does down the stretch and, more importantly, the playoff. Spencer, uh, I can't talk enough about this team. Last night, William Carlson, their primary guys involved as always. Mark Stone, another goal. And, of course, Jonathan Marchessault gets the game winner over time. No, this is just a special group of guys, and you just have to be proud of them for representing the city and not even presenting themselves as the villain. A lot of the times when you have a team that is the best in the league, a lot of people don't like them, and they try to you know, make stories about them just to try to knock them down. Like That's what we all want. The best team in the league, we want to do that, but not for the Golden Knights. I mean, they play very professionally, and Marc-Andre Fleury obviously hit a really big milestone in that overtime win. And okay, like you, you don't want anyone 
other than him to have that kind of uh, stature, right? Because he's just such a good guy. You want all the good things to happen to him. And he probably downplayed it after the game. I didn't see the post-game conference, but uh, he must be really proud of himself, and, and we are too. And I, I don't know what this team would be without Marc-Andre Fleury from the get-go. If you don't have it, well, first of all, if you don't have a good goalie, you're not going to be a good team anyways. We wouldn't have made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. But I'm, even if we did have a above-average goalie who could have kind of held this team together, he does so much more than that for the Golden Knights. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, he's – I say all the time, Marc-Andre Fleury is the most humble superstar in the history of the National Hockey League. I mean, he really is. And now being recognized as one of the top goaltenders in the National Hockey League also, as he should be, and it should have been all along. It was funny, when he first got here, I actually talked to people and said, you know, he wasn't guaranteed to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, there's no question what he has done. And Flurry, they've gotten some incredible cornerstones now. Mark Stone, the greatest acquisition this team has made in their 40 year history. Without in my opinion, the best two-way player in hockey. Yeah, he's not quite maybe you want to talk about the most dynamic players, you know, like Austin Matthews in the Toronto Maple Leafs that's really playing well there, or even, you know, Connor McDavid, who's just ridiculous, scored another goal last night. But Mark Stone is right there amongst the best players in hockey. And again, he's not just a two-way player that, that plays on all the special teams as well. He is a physical presence. He's a guy that can mix it up and he can throw his gloves off if he has to. There is not an element of the game of hockey that, that Mark Stone doesn't, you know, the only thing I don't know a goalie, you know, put on goalie pants. Probably He'd probably be right there, too. This guy is so good that, um, you know, it, it, it just really really was the final element this team needed. And, you know, I know a guy you haven't been real fond of in Max Patch Ready because, you know, you say he takes so many shots, but, you know, his, his, his percentage of scoring per shot isn't great. But the two of them are literally – match it together and the way they set each other up again uh patch patches set him up on the golden stone score last night made it easy for him the two of them worked so well together and pete DeBoer is mixing things up a little bit you saw him throw alex tuck on the line last night with uh with um riley smith and um and, and uh, william carlson for a minute it's really really he good he's really mixing things up and that's the one thing pete DeBoer does he's never going to get complacent with your lines if he sees something needs changing or maybe he feels something needs changing He's going to make that change. Uh, they didn't really play well on Friday night against. It wasn't so much how good Arizona played. It was that Vegas was kind of just really ten straight wins. And I'm not going to say they took Arizona lightly by any means. It just they didn't play their game that they were due for that kind of a game. Sure. But then they turn around tomorrow. They get the two goal lead. They relinquish it in the third period. And then of course a power play did help them out in the in the extra in the extra stance. But. For Jonathan Markstow to get that game winner, big overtime win for the Vegas Golden Knights. Again, keeps them four points in front of Colorado to get a home ice advantage, with that, which I think is going to be huge. And one of the things that bother me the most is this playoff system. I understand for the pandemic you're trying to keep the same teams playing the same teams, and I get all that. But I hate the fact that you might have the three best teams in the league, and I'm not going to take anything away from Washington or Carolina or any of the other teams that are in the running. I think the Canadian division is very weak. I think Toronto could get exposed once they move on if they're the team that moves on from that division. But the point is, is to not give Minnesota and Colorado Avalanche and Vegas all a chance to play in the Western Conference Finals, being the one through eight structure that it should be, is really kind of bothersome to me. Yeah, I think sports are, are really having a hard time outside of the NFL. I think the NFL has navigated this almost perfectly. 
this is the uh, basketball's trying to do it too with this weird play-in game where you have like fifty thousand teams trying to get in and like seating doesn't matter. And then hockey, they're doing this too, and some of it might be for protection. But once you're in the playoffs, come on, man, there's not that many teams left. Um, the argument you could make is that you're seeing better talent in the first round, so every round's a little more exciting. Well, at least in the in our division in the West, because teams are just that good. Uh, but what what I think the core problem is is that they're all trying to make the sport like more interesting. They want to get more people and make it more exciting. But to do that, like don't go away from the game of hockey in the way that we know it. Uh, so I, I agree with you. I think it's a it's a huge issue and something that they they need to figure out. And hopefully next year. We can cut all this out, the weird play-in games, the expanded playoffs. Uh, let's get hockey back to hockey. Let's get all sports back to normal so that we can just have normal seasons again. Because as the pandemic starts to dissipate now, especially, it looks worse and worse, in my opinion. Spencer, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, uh, I think everyone wants to see that sense of normality right now back in life, let alone in the sporting world. <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's still going to be a while. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when the NFL starts. I think by the time the NFL get, comes around, we'll see uh, the stadiums at maximum capacity. I think everyone here in Vegas, I know I'm looking forward to it. We got a chance to see, you got a chance to go to a couple of UNLV games last year. You know, I got a chance to go to a couple of the Raiders games. Um, I can't wait to see what it's like to have a Legion Stadium absolutely oh, and what kind of an impact that will make on the Raiders as a team on UNLV when they're allowed to have fans in there and how many fans <laughs> have. But again, um, I, I'm, I'm really excited about that. Spencer, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be magical. And I think all of us are looking forward to that. And I think, uh, but still, even with the limited number of fans in T-Mobile arena for the, for the uh, Golden Knights games, you know, I've gone to a bunch of them now. And before the fans and after, it makes a difference. And you can definitely hear them. Even when you hear Cornell singing the national anthem now, you can hear the Vegas Golden Knights fans when they yell night again. hear that now. And I do think it lights a team up. Plus, they're used to playing at T-Mobile Arena. Even though ice is ice, the rink's the same dimensions everywhere you play, there's something about playing at home at home ice advantage. And home advantage in any sport. A lot of people say it makes the least amount of difference in the NHL, and that's been proven over time. Is there have been number eight seeds, a lot of the LA Kings that have come up and won the Stanley Cup out of the eight hole. But I still think any team, if you asked in any sport, would prefer home ice advantage. And I think you know, plus you know you're you're one of the best teams. And the, the Vegas Golden Knights are in the running for the Presidents Cup to be the best. Washington with uh, for that, but what a great tribute that would be if in their fourth season they could win the President's Cup. I know that's been a jinx to some teams winning a Stanley Cup, but I don't care. I think everybody in Las Vegas would love to see this team. Even though it's an abbreviated 56-game season, I still think everybody would love to see this team win the President's Cup and be the number one team in hockey. How cool would that yeah, be? Yeah, and I would say there's a very stark difference because when you look at Tampa Bay a couple years ago and their like, massive meltdown, they were overextending themselves to get the, like this special number that they felt that they needed. And the Warriors in that year where they won 73 games, they played extreme minutes that season to get the 73 wins. The Golden people right now. And the thing, oh, I, I want to go back to what you said about playing in front of fans. Think about this from a human standpoint, right? Not like as a team and like how good they are. When you, you get to sleep in your bed at home, so I guess that is always an advantage. But if you go to your stadium and it's empty – 
is it really a home game? You know what I mean? Like when you hear people there with you, like it's gotta be something that just fuels you no matter what, because come on, like they play a long season. They don't they have long trips to and fro home and wherever they're going, traveling uh, just to know that you can come home to people who are supporting you. And we have avid fans here. We know like one of the best fans based in the NHL, just with how dedicated the people are and how we've embraced hockey culture over here. It's really cool to see. And, I hope, you know, by the time the Stanley Cup finals happens, if the Colton Knights were to get there somehow, that they would just allow everybody because we're reaching full capacity soon in Vegas. And that would just be, could you just imagine T-Mobile Arena full for the Stanley Cup again after everyone knows how close they got last time? I mean, that would just be something that everybody has to witness at least once. Well, you know, Spencer, getting to watch the Stanley Cup finals in that first year against Washington, you know, they win but watching that live, the only way to describe it was it was an incredible Vegas show, and then a hockey game <laughs> broke out. I mean, it is something yeah. to see. And every Golden Knights game is, is different, and if you've never been to a Golden Knights game, man, I couldn't advise you more to go check out a sporting event and get tickets. It's worth the price of admission. You know, hell, go sit up in the fortress, man, wherever you got to be. But experience one of these games, especially when it gets back to full capacity. There's truly nothing like this. Being from Detroit, you know, they call it hockey town. And Joe Louis Arena, the Red Wings, of course, don't play there anymore, but that place would get rocking. And I mean, Detroit takes their hockey very seriously. I'll tell you what, it never was as loud in Joe Louis Arena as I heard it in uh, T Mobile Arena for Vegas Golden Knights games. I mean, that place is unbelievable. The acoustics are tremendous in there. And it is just a great venue for sporting events and for an NHL game. I mean, there's nothing like it. You know, my heart will always be in Detroit, uh, but like I said, it's um, it's pretty incredible that uh, this has happened to this city. And their fourth year would just add to this incredible story history that we have right now. For example, Yes. So joining us right now, I don't want to keep him on hold for much longer. We're having a few internet difficulties. Hopefully they'll be okay. Uh, is the man who just got off the air last night, I should say this morning at midnight, straight out of Vegas, Bernie Fratto, every Saturday night, 10 to midnight. You can also hear the guy all the time on Fox. He's filling in. And finally, Bernie is getting his just dessert. Uh, he is as good as it gets in this business. A good friend of his, Dick Schaap, wrote a letter a little while ago about how good Bernie was and finally we all get to hear Bernie across the nation on Fox Sports and straight out of Vegas great show Bernie first of all welcome to the show I appreciate you man did you get some sleep last night uh probably not but I was looking forward to being on with you Brian good morning Brian Spencer how is how are you guys doing today I'm doing great Bernie appreciate you asking and um, I'm, I'm glad you took the time to join the show I know that you've been really focused and dialed in on the NFL draft. Right before I get to that, real quick, I was going to mention the Kentucky Derby and Bob Baffert and a horse that once went for $1,000 at the beginning wins the Kentucky Derby. And not only wins it, Bernie, but wire to wire on a horse that was 12 to 1. That was a pretty cool thing to experience in a not-so-great time in our world. I think we all like to see excellence in sports, most of us. I jokingly said on Twitter, who does Bob Baffert think he is, Tom Brady? Because now he's won seven of these. It's not a fluke. They've got a formula. I understand they bought this horse for $1,000. It was great to see. One of the highlights, though, that kind of ended up in the background was 
Mattress Mac had $4 million on essential quality. So uh, not a good day for him, but a phenomenal day for Bob Baffert. Yeah, it really was. And, of course, also happening yesterday, um, Mike Smith rides in his 27th Kentucky Derby, gets sixth place, but he passes up the legendary Bill Schumacher. A pretty incredible 27 Kentucky Derbies. It's not quite playing the 27 Super Bowls, but it's a hell of an accomplishment over a long career for a guy that uh, we've been watching race forever, Mike Smith. And uh, sixth place, not too shabby, in a race where none of the favorites came in in the top three. Bernie, how surprised were you with that? I mean, I knew nothing about Medina Spirit whatsoever, other than Bob Baffert was the trainer. And, of course, Velasquez, the, the jockey, the two of them just had teamed up, what, a, a few months back in the fall for the uncharacteristic, strange Kentucky Derby, where they took authentic to the Kentucky Derby win. Uh, inside of one year, Bob Baffert and his jockey win two Stanley, two Stanley Cups. How about two Kentucky Derbies in, uh, in what, seven months? Yeah, he's only like, I think, the third or fourth uh, racehorse owner to win back-to-back in the history of the Kentucky Derby. I do not bet horse racing. Uh, I stay in my lane when it comes to sports betting. I don't even bet props. Um, I know the pros were on highly motivated, and I also know they were on um, Hot and Charlie. or what I, This is how much I follow sports racing. I would just say this. It's very difficult when you got 20 horses in a field and they're all competing. Uh, and I also think that no one had ever won uh, that race from the position he started in. Um, I'm talking about uh, Bob Baffert's horse. I think the thing for me is when it comes to horse racing, uh, there are ways to bet it when, you know, boxing the field or quinellas and the trifectas and things of this nature. It's just not something I do. It's like shooting BBs at the moon. I just don't know how you consistently win at that. So I don't really attempt to uh, do it, but I do I certainly respect the pros who are, are, you know, firing on these things and doing probably pretty well. You know, they, they take it really serious. They watch uh, they watch a lot of factors that go into betting horse racing. I don't bet it either, Bernie. The Kentucky Derby, if I ever throw any money on it, it's $2 on uh, a horse that I like the most. But pretty incredible when you consider what they did. And obviously, there's a formula. But uh, Bob Baffert actually back-to-back his second time doing that in his career out of the seven that he's won. And he is the only trainer to ever win back-to-back on multiple occasions. by what they did, Brian, and your, your your recollection is exactly right. I covered 10 drafts from 98 to 08, was part of the pre- and post-game team. And after watching them try to build a team from the periphery under Matt Millen with wide receivers all the time, 
I think Dan uh, Campbell did an outstanding job. Let's start with Panay Sewell. Here's a guy who won the Outland Trophy when he was 18 years old. He hasn't even grown into his body yet. He's about 60% of what he's going to be, and he's already incredible. That gives the Lions some serious heft up front. You've got Taylor Decker holding down the right side now and former Ingalls swing mauler, Apovalati Vatai standing to Sewell's left at guard. And so you've got really this offensive line that will be in position to create a ball control run first philosophy where the Lions can win at the line of scrimmage. This is fantastic. And they also took defensive line with their first three, you know, three of the first four picks, a couple of good players, a cornerback. And then I love the receiver out of USCS, how the kid play at modern day. So an excellent draft by the Lions. Not a dot in my mind that they are building from the inside out, and they might compete this year. I, I, that doesn't mean they're going to win nine or ten games. What I do believe is that they're going to compete in every game. And from what I saw the other day, I give the Lions an A, and I think that they uh, spoke to their need, and it looks like a little bit different philosophy. No, I agree with you, Bernie. And I, as I said, I like I like building from, as you say, the inside out. I think it's it's a whole different philosophy, something we haven't seen before. And I hope Dan Campbell is around long enough to see this grow into something because he's the first head coach that they've hired that I actually kind of like uh, in a while. And, and I'm excited about that. I also agree with you. The, the first three picks were all interior linemen. Uh, that nose tackle out of uh, NC State, uh, McNeil, I think is going to be really help short of that defensive line. I like that a lot. And even as far down, Bernie, I look all the way back to the fourth round of the draft, I think the 113th pick, Derek Barnes, Barnes out of Purdue. I saw Purdue play a couple of games this year. That guy was tackling everybody. I don't know how great he is to get him in the fourth round, but I think it's a pretty good linebacker to get that late in the draft. No, I agree. Uh, these are all guys from, from major schools and major conferences, Oregon, Washington, Purdue, USC. Uh, even the cornerback from Syracuse is very good. Uh, the Lions – had five, uh, check that, six of the first 113 picks. I think they made the most with it. I think they were giddy that Panay Sewell was there. They half expected him to go to Cincinnati when he didn't, and also Jalen Waddle was off the board. Um, they had their guys staring them in the face. I think I was told that if both Sewell and Waddle would have been off the board, the Lions would have traded down to the, get additional picks. So, Again, I, I like the way they prosecuted this draft. Look, the second to the last draft I covered was 07, and they drafted Calvin Johnson. And I always said, I love the player, but I hate the pick. They never won a playoff game with him. And, you know, that was back during those Matt Millen years where you, you drafted receivers three out of four years, and we all saw how that worked out. This is a different situation now. Hope springs eternal. We'll see. Bernie, Jared Goff, you know, they've got this offensive line that I think is one of the top offensive lights in football. Now, if they all come together, you brought most of the names up. You didn't mention Ragnall, who was another a very solid offensive line. Right. Yeah. Market so, yeah. Now you've got Jared Goff, one of the great young minds in the NFL, discarded him and took a guy, Matthew Stafford, who has 0-3 in the playoffs. And, is, you know, the, the tank's getting close to being empty there. And he, yet he shelved Jared Goff, who led them to a Super Bowl. What do you think of Jared Goff? Can he do anything in Detroit behind this uh, this good offensive line? I certainly think so. And it got to a point where 
Uh, I think Sean McVay lost a tremendous amount of confidence in Jared Goff, and in doing so, Goff lost confidence. But Goff entered the league in 2016. He has three playoff wins and helped get the team to a Super Bowl. Matt Stafford has zero playoff wins. He has an under 500 record. Listen, you won't hear me bash Matt Stafford. I like him. However, he did everything in Detroit but win. That's a fact. And in games with playoff implications, including three playoff games where he was 0-3, he was 0-7. He was 10-55 and against teams who finished with an above 500 record. To imply that he's the missing link to get the Rams to the Super Bowl, to me, is bothersome conversation for a different day. Jared Goff is a competitor. When he came out of Cal, he looked great. He stepped right into a tough situation and did the job. It ended up not working out. This sometimes happens in the NFL. Johnny Unitas was cut by three teams. He's going to go to Detroit with a fresh start and a chip on his shoulder. He'll win the locker room over. It remains to be seen if they get to the playoffs. But I will tell you that trading for a guy who's won three playoff games in his five-year career and been to a Super Bowl, you could do a lot worse. Fair enough. Switching gears to the Las Vegas Raiders, I look at their draft overall, and I am shaking my head. And Spencer, of course, is uh, he's a lifelong Raiders fan. Um, he's as mad as anybody about the draft, but I was really surprised. Um, Alex Leatherwood, I mean, a decent offensive tackle, but wasn't he projected to go like in the 40s, and he goes with the 17th pick? Surprise you? Uh, it did, except that I think when you look at the history of Mike Mayock, who uh, likes to outthink the room and get ahead of the curve. Um, you know, da- just random. Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft had him rated 62nd. The over-under, I believe, in Las Vegas was 44th. They liked him. Alex Leatherwood, here's the good part. Alex Leatherwood is a, is a good player. He started 41 games at Alabama. He's going to step in at right tackle and start for the next five years minimum, barring injury. And so I think you have to look at it and say, that's what you want out of your first-round draft pick. However... On the heels of draft picks like Lynn Bowden Jr., and while I like Clee Farrell and think he's a good player, I don't think he was worthy of being picked that high, and the Raiders aren't winning. Their over-under total in Vegas is 7.5. That's revealing, and I know guys I respect betting the under. I will say this, in round two, they got Trevor Mulward from TCU. He's a beast, but what they're not reporting is he's had some health issues, so he's got to be able to stay on the field. What the Raiders did do, was add a lot more speed to their roster, you know, and they got three safeties, Divine Diablo out of Virginia Tech, Nate Hobbs out of Illinois. They drafted all defense till the second round when they grabbed the center out of Pittsburgh. But look, speed is an important aspect of football, and certainly it was the, you know, calling card of Al Davis. But I would say this, you know, as my buddy Billy Sudeikis used to say, birds can fly too, but they can't hit a baseball. Birds can fly, but can they play football? None of this is going to matter until they get on the field. And I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see if these pieces parts can come together. I know their defense last year was a long way away from being where they needed to be. And they also need to protect Derek Carr. So they had multiple needs. I just still feel, Brian, irrespective of who the Raiders drafted this year, they're still a ways away. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that. You mentioned Mike Mayock. I know it's somebody that Spencer bashes on this show all the time. I don't think he's... I, I kind of like the guy, but I'm not sure if I see what he's doing here in Las Vegas. Your thoughts on Mayock? Is he a guy that can put a team together that can win here in Las Vegas? 
the short answer would be yes, but we're four years in now, and at, at some point, the proof in the pudding is on the field. Mike Mayock checks every box. He played in the NFL. He's been in scouting. I thought when he was on TV, he did a very good job. He's very articulate. What I really like about Mayock is whenever he makes his decisions, he always is able to justify them with relevant specifics and accurate information. He's extremely prepared, and he articulates his positions well. Very few people in sports or in life have what I call the Simon Cowell syndrome. Simon Cowell, it's not just that he could tell if a, if a person could sing. He could tell if their product was going to be commercially successful. So a scout's job is projectability, okay? Richard Sherman wasn't drafted till the fifth round because scouts said he couldn't cover in man-to-man. Well, how'd that work out? So the draft board is littered with players who scouts said weren't that good. At the same time, there are plenty of guys, including quarterbacks. There were 44 quarterbacks, Brian, drafted in the last 50 years in the top three, one, two, or three, yet only two of them. Uh, Troy Aikman and Peyton Manning got their team that they dra- that drafted them to the Super Bowl. So this is an incredibly an inexact science and an inexact art. To answer your question, I think Mayock can, but I honestly think the window's closing a little bit. If the Raiders aren't in the playoffs this year or next year, I think you'd have to say he's at ample time to do this. Not that I'd move on from him, but I start to think there are going to be people looking at, you know, with a jaundiced eye at, is this working? He is Bernie Frano, host of Straight Out of Vegas. You can hear him every Saturday night, 10 to 12, Fox Sports Radio, the pregame show you always wanted. Uh, Bernie does a great job on the show. If you haven't heard it, I strongly recommend you listen to this guy. He is as good as it gets in the business. Bernie, you mentioned the quarterbacks, and a very good point that, yeah, the only two real successful ones, uh, you mentioned Peyton Manning and, of course, uh, uh, Troy Aikman. The quarterbacks this year, we expected the first five be taken within the first 15 picks as they were. I think nobody, obviously, nobody's surprised about number one. No one really surprised about number two once the Jets uh, gave up on Sam Darnold, which I think is a huge mistake, uh, but that's that's a story a talk for another time. It's the third pick, the San Francisco 49ers. It seemed that they sandbag about Mac Jones all the way on, then maybe it would be Justin Fields, and I think in the back of, uh, I think in the back of their minds, it was always going to be Trey Lance, or he did something at the very end to make that decision. What do you think about them taking a guy like Trey Lance, not a ton of experience, and a guy that comes from a smaller conference and never really played any major competition in college? No, that's true. I'm actually comparing Trey Lance's situation to Steve McNair, who came out of Alcorn State. Uh, and had very good success in the NFL. I believed he would, and I believe Trey Lance will. The difference is Trey Lance is raw. Uh, he's got an amazing combination of size and speed. But to your point, uh, the toughest team he ever played against was James Madison. What I don't like in this whole narrative is how somewhere along the line, in order to like Trey Lance, you have to bash Mac Jones. Mac Jones is a very good quarterback and graded very high. His recognition his ability to process, his anticipation. Quarterback is a position you play with your eyes. You receive the ball, you take snapshots mentally, you make your progressions, and you distribute the ball based on what your quick reads are. Jones has the best timing in the draft. He has one of the best deep balls in the draft. And against the Blitz, he was outstanding. Had the best completion percentage, yards per attempt, and touchdowns when he was blitzed, and he was blitzed 124 times. 
Somewhere along the line, the narrative is that Mac Jones, you couldn't do that because he's a dime a dozen. Not true. Now, I do think Trey Lance is going to have success in the league. It's just going to take longer. He's not as close as Mac Jones was. And here's where I think the issue is. And what I think happened, Brian, it was going to be Mac Jones. And as it got closer, it wasn't going to be a unilateral decision. And Kyle Shanahan got outvoted. Remember, in 2017, they thought they had their quarterbacks with Blaine Gabbard and Colin Kaepernick. And they went out and said, oh, what the hell, we'll draft C.J. Beathard out of Iowa in the third round, passing up on two guys you may have heard of, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. They didn't want to make that mistake again. But here's the issue. And Jimmy G is a good starting quarterback. 24-8 and eight is a starter with the uh, 49ers. And in games he didn't start, they were only 9-17. and 17. But Jimmy G has missed 26 games in the last three years. Now, he's also missed games the last three Septembers. So based on that, it's not reasonable to believe he may miss games this year. And if he missed games in September, you may be handing the keys to a guy who's throwing the fewest amount of passes heading into the NFL than any other first-round quarterback in history, and he won't have played a game. He'll play one game in 24 months. I don't think he's ready, and Mac Jones was ready. Let's contextualize this. The 49ers are ready to win a Super Bowl now. I think Mac Jones could have helped kept the seat warm, could have won football games. I'm not so sure Trey Lance gets on the field this year unless Jimmy G's hurt, and if that happens, I don't think he's ready yet. We need to have the conversation in three years. Because the only thing that's going to matter is if Trey Lance wins the Super Bowl with the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan's ultimate decision and John Lynch's was, turns out to be right. Matt Jones, Bernie, going back to him, and, and I agree with you on Trey Lance. I don't think he's right right now. I think he'll have to be a guy that sits behind Jimmy G. And being the fact that Jimmy G has that injury problems, you're 100% right. Trey Lance could get handed the keys right away. Matt Jones, one of the knocks on Matt Jones is basically one year at Alabama, 17 starts. But if I remember correctly at Auburn, wasn't there a guy named Cam Newton that had like 14 starts in his total career in college? Well, no, that's absolutely correct. Cam Newton only had 14 starts and stepped right into a good situation and had a, a lot of success. Matt Jones, people don't realize he checks a lot of boxes. Look, what if I told you that he actually ran a faster 40 than both Patrick Holmes and Daniel Jones? I told you, know, which doesn't really mean anything in, in the scheme, but if we're going to cherry pick all these statistics to make your case, then let's do it comprehensively. Somebody told me, well, he's not even as good an athlete as Daniel Jones. Ran a faster 40. Daniel Jones' vertical leap was 33 inches. Mac Jones was 32. So we're splitting hairs here. The key is when you get this guy behind center, there's never been a quarterback that completed over 77% of his passes for his career ever. And sure, you can say he he was surrounded by talent. He still had to execute. If you look at his ability to throw the ball in rhythm and timing, this is what he really thrives within the tempo of an offense. Nobody... And I have scouting reports in my personal email. Nobody came close to Jones statistically on what you call in-rhythm throws. He had a 98 passing grade with almost 14 yards per attempt. And on those plays, he led college football. That means you recognize what's taking place in front of you quickly. You get the ball out of your hand where it needs to go consistently, and you do it accurately. Somebody told me, well, does he throw a deep ball? Are you kidding me? He completed 71% of his passes on what you call deep ball throws. 
In comparison, another guy I like a lot, Justin Fields, he completed 67%. So what I thought you saw a lot were people crafting narratives based on cherry-picking things and diminishing Mac Jones because he didn't pass the optics test that people want him to pass. In the NFL, you want your quarterback. Kyle Shanahan covets accuracy. He covets decision-making. He doesn't want you to go off script. He wants you to stay on script. Even Jimmy G goes off script a little bit. And I hear guys say, well, you know, when the play breaks down, Mac Jones is limited. You don't draft a quarterback for when the play breaks down. You draft a quarterback to run your scheme, run your system. And I think we will see in three years. Let's have me on again, and let's see what Mac Jones does. Let's see what Trey Lance does. Because, again, until you get on the field, all of this is conjecture. Alabama, two of their, their two top receivers went in the first 10 picks. One of them won a Heisman Trophy. He didn't do it on his own. So I agree with you. I like Mac Jones a lot. And I think Bill Belichick, again, got himself a diamond with the 15th pick. Ronnie, you mentioned uh, Justin Fields. And the guy that can't go unmentioned, a lot of people say what the Bears did might have been the move of the entire draft. Being a Lions fan, I did not love seeing them trade up to get Justin Fields. Justin Fields, as good as an athlete as it was, and before, you know, a couple of months back, it was Trevor Lawrence number one, Justin Fields number two. There was no doubt about that. Somehow that all changed. And uh, Justin Fields, I'll tell you what, especially the national semifinals against Clemson, Bernie, showed us all that he has balls of steel. Uh, it is amazing that he threw six touchdown passes in that game after getting taking as vicious of a hit as you're going to see staying on the field. And obviously that hurt them tremendously in the national championship game where he wasn't the same, but he still performed well. This is a guy that I think has all the tools to succeed. I think the big knock is Ohio State University quarterbacks have not done well in the NFL. Justin Fields may be the exception to that, right? Uh, I think so. It's entirely possible. I like Justin Fields a lot. And I think it should be noted the reason Zach Wilson went number two is because he fits the offensive scheme of that offensive coordinator. They run a very similar offense to what the uh, 49ers run. And look, a lot of highlight real, uh, you know, plays that you saw where Justin Fields had to do with running, that design running plays between the A-gap. You're not going to have that in the NFL. Be that as it may, you're right, that signature play against Clemson. Justin Fields, I think, has an outstanding chance to be a way above average quarterback in the NFL, and he'll get in with Matt Nagy's system. It's exactly what the Bears needed, not only from the standpoint of being able to make plays and being able to lead from the huddle, from the line of scrimmage, but this is an easy one to sell the uh, the press conference. I do believe that uh, Mac or check that uh, Justin Fields will be starting probably by week four or five, unless Andy Dalton finds the fountain of youth and they're four or five and oh. But this is a guy whose work ethic is off the charts. He's respectful. He, you know, has, has improved his craft. He's a winner. He knows how to win. And he will learn other, the other refinements. You bring up an excellent point about Ohio State quarterbacks. Uh, it's kind of a, a damning narrative, but probably the two best quarterbacks in terms of NFL success were Mike Tomzak and Arch Leister. Here's why. Ohio State has elite athletes at every position, and they make you play 11 on 11. What that means is when Mac Jones is, or when I keep saying this, when Justin Fields is under center or in the shotgun for the Ohio State Buckeyes, they run a relatively simplistic offense. And if his hot read is not open, he's not only got the autonomy to run and make a play, 
He's encouraged to do so. That's not going to be the case in the NFL. It's not to say he can't make his progressions. He's going to have to improve at that, but I believe he can. Again, Mac Jones is more advanced at this stage than Justin Fields. So when you see Justin Fields drop to 12, it's not an indictment of Justin Fields. It's more the needs of those specific teams. You know, the Lions weren't going to draft a quarterback. The Bengals weren't. The Dolphins were. As you go down the, the line, those teams had other needs that were more pressing, and they had the quarterback position spoken for. The Bears, to their credit, moved up to get him, and I think they got themselves a, a very good pick at 12. Again, we'll know in three years, man, it takes a quarterback about 28 starts and a couple of you know tours around the league before you know what he's got, they know his tendencies, and he's able to make the adjustments to survive in this thing called the National Football League. I think Justin Fields has all the intangibles and the tangibles and the character. Now he's just got to go out and do it. I thought it was a tremendous move by them, and I agree with you 100%. They fit their needs. Two more quick subjects, Bernie, as we're running a little bit short on time. But we're talking about quarterbacks. We're talking about the NFC North. When we're talking about the Lions, the Bears with Justin Field, and obviously the biggest talk in the NFL right now is Aaron Rodgers. I say there is no way he is not a Packer this season. I don't care how much he complains and what he wants. I don't see how they let him out of town. He has to give up a ton of money that he's already been paid if he leaves. I just don't see it happening. Your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers, and if he does leave, Bernie, where would he go? Well, I'm in agreement. Uh, let's unpack this from a semblance of logic. If the Packers were to trade Aaron Rodgers before June 1st, they would be hit with a $32 million cap hit. If they trade him after June 1st, it's a $14 million cap hit. And let's face it, they go immediately from a 13-win team to probably a 6- or 7-win team. And if you're the GM that's got that on your resume, good luck. I don't see the value of making that trade, and who in the hell would they get back in return? This is a guy that's a three-time MVP and got them to a whisker of the Super Bowl last year. They're still knocking on the door. Conversely, if Aaron Rodgers says, ah, I've had enough, I'm going to retire, he'll have to pay back $23 million in signing bonuses He's already cashed in on. Well, the good news, he can make payments over the next two years. But you think he really wants to write those checks? So as Aaron Rodgers once famously said, let's all relax. Uh, we were talking, we were having the same conversation about Russell Wilson back in early March. And I said, he's not going anywhere, and he's not. So for now, not that it can't change, I don't think he's going anywhere. But to answer your question, I know Denver is highly interested, and they do that deal tomorrow. They'd probably cut off a finger to get Aaron Rodgers, but what in the hell are they going to give Green Bay in return, and why would Green Bay absorb that cap hit? I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I agree with you as well. I also heard some rumors about the Raiders, but uh, don't get excited here in Las Vegas. Aaron Rodgers isn't coming, and I agree with Bernie. I don't think he's going to Denver either. I'm surprised Denver's football's at like nine right now. I think that might be thinking they are going to get Aaron Rodgers because I think that's a seven-win team. Bernie, last subject is run out of time. Back to the Detroit Lions. I have been on a rant for a long time now. And as I said earlier, I, I consider the Detroit Lions have been rebuilding for 55 years because they've got one win in the Super Bowl era. Why is that subject not broached by more sports One win in to me, it's the most inept sports franchise in the world in any major sport. Is it not? And why does ESPN not do a 30 for 30 on this? 
I, I just don't get it, Bernie. This team has won one playoff game in my lifetime, and I'm uh, pushing 60 years old. When does this change? <laughs> well, first of all, you're not wrong. Uh, as far as Brian, as far as uh, that one playoff win, it was January 6, 1992, and the Dallas Cowboys uh, got beat by the Lions that day, 38 to six. And Eric Kramer was phenomenal. And John Madden was on the call that day, and he said, "You're looking at the two teams of the '90s." Well, he was half right. Dallas went on to win three Super Bowls. Although the Lions under Wayne Fonts made the playoffs four times in the nineties, never won a playoff game. Look, it's it's not a national story in the way we think it is maybe worthy of being, because across the country nobody really cares. Uh, we're we're kind of stuck in flyover country there in Detroit, and if you don't win, you're under the radar. It's just nobody cares. It's like all those years when the Cubs lost and they you know couldn't get over the hump. Same kind of situation, or the curse of the Bambino in Boston. Detroit is very provincial in its own sports fandom. If you're from there, if you are living there, it's amazing. It's religion. I don't think the rest of the country sees it that way. So although you sound like a true Detroiter because you are and you understand the pain and the lunacy and to a degree the embarrassment, it's just that nobody nationally cares as much as we do. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I just think it's – I still think it's something that needs to be talked about. They've arguably had the best running back in the history of the National Football League, Barry Sanders. And pound for pound and ability-wise, I don't know that there's a better wide receiver than Megatron ever. Between the two of them, 21 years of NFL, in the NFL, and one playoff victory, it's pretty surprising to me, especially a team that's been around since 1913 as the Portsmouth Spartans, and the last time they won a championship was in 1957 when Bobby Lane, who, by the way, Put a curse on this team. Um, was the quarterback? <clears throat> and of course, coincidentally, Matt Stafford, who had gone to Highland Park High School in Dallas, the same high school that produced Bobby Lane, he was going to be the one to break the curse. Uh, look, bad drafts, bad decisions, bad leadership. Uh, Matt Millen was an unmitigated disaster. Sorry, <coughs> violated the Rooney Rule twice. Uh, called Johnny. Uh, Morton, a terrible name in front of women and children, and didn't win, and it was an embarrassment. So, look, <clears throat> there's new leadership there now, and, you know, hope springs eternal, Brian. That's all I can say. I got you. New leadership, still the same ownership. we got a family that bought the team on the day JFK was assassinated, and I don't know if that's part of the curse as well. He's Bernie Fratto, straight out of Vegas, every Saturday night, all on Fox Sports Radio nationally. Give them a listen. I mean, Bernie is as good as it gets. And Bernie, as always, I greatly appreciate you joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me, and keep up the great work, guys. Appreciate it. Again, that's Bernie Fredo. Spencer, we're just out of time. I'm going to give you one minute. Final thoughts. I know you want to talk Raiders draft. Go ahead. Talk to me. It's a complete embarrassment, Brian, and there's no two ways about it. Look, I, I do like Trevor a lot, and hopefully he can stay healthy. But everything else, think about it. The only reason the Raiders had to draft an offensive lineman in the first round is because he released half of the line or traded them for no reason. He ate cap to get rid of the best offensive lineman, some of the best offensive linemen in the NFL, if not top 10 in their position. So you're creating a solution and reaching in the first round for somebody that they never needed to. And also spending the rest of your cap money on a backup running back is a fireable offense, in my opinion. You guys say he can create a team, but when is that going to happen? Because he makes mistakes every single year. He had the Antonio Brown situation, and we knew he could be quelled uh, in the 
but he messed that up too. So that's my thought. It's embarrassing. Four defensive backs for one of the worst. They were supposed to go in the sixth and seventh round. In the fourth oh, round. Spencer Ostrowski and, of course, Devon Cotton back in the studio. We will be back.